stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw, and that would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe, and this guest we have been waiting for and excited for. Talk about a diverse career from the blood and guts of the sheep herders to the entertainment and the baby faces with the bushwhackers. He's a WWE Hall of Famer, one of the greatest names in professional wrestling history. He is Bushwhacker Luke. How you doing, Bushwhacker Luke? Oh, good day, mateys. How are you doing there today? And to all my fans out there, it's good to be on this podcast with my two favorites, Gerald Briscoe and the clothesline from hell, JBL. <laughs> hey, hey, Luke, it, it, man, it, it's great to have you on here. I, I, I run into you every once in a while. We were just discussing beforehand uh, about some projects you have come back, the books, and maybe a free bird, uh, free bird. Wow. Uh, a bushwhacker reunion uh, down down the line here, but uh, man, it's a pleasure to have you on. And and you know you're one of my favorite Kiwis. You and you and that damn Tony Gurria, he got a rank <laughs> up there too. But I, I read a little banner that you and JBL was 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 having before we uh, we got on back and forth trying to set this thing up about rugby. I mean. Tony Gurria swears that he was the greatest rugby player that New Zealand ever produced. Is that is well, he lying or what? No, he was a rugby league player. I we butcher me a rugby union. Rugby league is a, a JBL will tell you it's a different kettle of fish. There's there's no scrums in rugby league. They just one man goes down and kicks the ball back. You know about that, JBL. Yes, sir. That is exactly right. Rugby union is what's played mainly in, uh, especially the northern hemisphere. You know, that's what. Uh, that's with the hey Gerald. That's so, with so, the hey, rugby union. So the Sheilers play. The Sheilers play great rugby so, league. So Tony was basically a minor league rug, rugby player, and he he claims to be this big star. <laughs> yeah, but he's not. He's not here to defend himself. Uh, but anyway, man, it's great to have you on. And you know, I, I, our our careers were intertwined so much. You know, here in Florida, Georgia, Carolinas, and most yep. of all, we used to have a lot of really fun matches. But they were kind of brutal matches in in Puerto Rico. I I would I can tell you one that I remember. <laughs> yeah. uh, which one's that? <laughs> Right. on an anniversary show and um it was the sheep herders lost by stories against the briscoes so, so we hit the ring and then they came out to the ring and then we started the match and the ring started getting loaded with all the garbage you can think cans whatever comes G gerald and, and jack said we're going home <laughs> we didn't even got started and they said we're going home that was brutal down there. I mean, you guys had so much heat when we, we didn't realize how much heat you you guys actually had because we just come in from Florida for, for that big, uh, big anniversary show that they have, have every year down there. And, uh, you know, what was it? 15, 16,000 people in there and the heat you guys had, and you guys went to the ring first and then, and, and man, we got it. So we didn't see the, you guys' battle going to the ring. But when we got out there, you know, all of a sudden we, the match goes to ding, ding, ding. And man, that ring started filling up with garbage, man. Jack, Jack, Jack looked around and here comes all the Puerto Rican fans right up against the ringside. You guys have been used to it, but we've been working here in Florida with the security. 
And man, Jackson, let's go home, uh, Luke. <laughs> and uh, we started doing some spots, man. It turned out great, but man, you guys really carried some heat down there. Yeah, I was going, I spent a lot of time down there. That was in the, I think that was in the late 70s or 80s. But I came back and booked for Carlos from 83 to 85, middle of 83. Tom, I took, I, Tom Ernesto was there and I come and took over his spot. And that's when we did the big show with when um, Abdullah joined Carlos against Hanson and Brody and we did 40,000 people. Wow. That was great in those early, and in, in the early 80s to do that much in a small promotion, that was a great. On a small island, basically, but that, that's gotta be fantastic, had a fantastic feeling to you, but you're, you're a guy that grew up in, in, in New Zealand and I, I was I had the great uh, fortune of going to New Zealand in 1971 and working for Steve down there, and it was a strange setup. You you guys had one of the most unique styles. Uh, was television uh, popular when you guys first started in, and, and was there local television? How did how did you you first see that squared circle and say I want to be I want to go in that squared circle? Well, my next door neighbor was a bodybuilder, and um, he, he came second in Mr. New Zealand and the promoter and, and the judge for Mr. New Zealand was a former Mr. New Zealand and he was the New Zealand wrestling promoter. This was 1961, 1961. So he started the promoter, the, the guy said to him, uh, the former New Zealand said to him, why don't you make some money with that body? And he said, how? He says, come to Coolman's gym. Coolman's gym was like a gym in the, the first Rocky movie. The old steam pipes would be rattling. There were kettlebells laying around the floor. There was one bench press and one squat rack. Now there was two rings, boxing rings, 20 by 20, a foot off the floor. And uh, you know the floor was as hard as the floor you're standing on now. And there was four ropes, New Zealand. There was four ropes and um, after about, he was going in for about four or five months. He said to me, come to the gym with me. So I started going. In How the old city. were you? How old were you, Luke? I was 15 and a half, 16, 16, 16 maybe, yeah. This is, this is my seventh decade in the ring uh -huh. at the moment. Wow. <laughs> and I was in there in the ring in this last week. Anyhow, so... Um, <laughs> So I started going to this bloody gym and this gym, you know, it was Coleman's gym in Wayne's in the capital city. And it was known for Commonwealth uh, boxing champions and amateur wrestling champions. Well, Wellington or Christchurch? Huh? Wellington. 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 That's where Steve Rickard's home was, Wellington. Uh, yeah. The capital. Yeah. And um, there's an old gym there and it was just, it was notorious for, for Commonwealth boxing champions and wrestling champions. So I started there in 60, in 62, and I've never been, we never had television to 67, 1967. So I started going there with them. And then my second time ever to see a wrestling match, one of the guys didn't arrive. The next minute I got a pair of boots thrown at me <laughs> and, and, and a tank top. I kept my jeans on, they gave me a tank top. I was 175 wet. You know, is that when you became gorgeous, uh, Luke? The gorgeous Teddy Williams. 
All right. <laughs> and, and that that, that was what a nice, rib that was. Huh? <laughs> gorgeous Dick Williams, and that in 1962. And then I realized I I, I saw Murphy the Surfy from Australia, and he caught he was from England. He was with Jonathan Boyd as the Royal Kangaroos. I worked with both of those guys down in Austria. Yeah. Anyhow, um, I saw how he moves and did all that stuff, so I started copying that stuff. And then, then I had a female valet. And then I first went to work for Jim Z, WCW in Australia. Jim came down. I'm talking about Jim Barnett. Came down to Australia in '65, bought the roller derby out, and he had the business for about two two months. I brought Kilikowski in. And he and he there was only two talk shows or one talk show in Australia. There's four TV channels, and he did the, the one talk show. Killer quotes. He put the claw on the guy's stomach. It was a, you know, and he sold it like hell. He was taken out in an ambulance, and that, that place Australia popped wide open. Jimsy was there from '65 to '72, and that and um, and when I went to Australia the first time, Jim changed my name. The Sweet William. Sweet William. So I dropped dropped gorgeous Teddy, and I was Sweet William, and and hence that then then Butch started in '66, and, and then Butch started Butch started in New Zealand or in Australia? In New Zealand. In New Zealand. I was, tell us tell, tell us a little bit about the, the the venues down there and and the style of work you guys worked. Uh, which I when I went down there, you guys were still into the. Uh, the round system and, yeah. and, and we had we had to go long rounds because they had to go so much time had to put so much time get into that now so it was the um uh, was the commission the commission was the police the the promoter had to send all the names of six weeks beforehand into the town who was running police and that and they would check to see that no one had a criminal record. <laughs> no one, no one be in the states. That only be, be, be that only end up with two guys on the car. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we could we couldn't have done that in Texas or Florida. Uh, no. They would come. The police would come to the arena two hours before the arena, and measure the ropes to make sure they're twenty feet apart. Twenty feet apart. If they were 90 and a half feet, they hadn't put the, the shackles tight enough, they wouldn't let you go on. It had to be 20 feet apart and you couldn't punch or kick. You had to do uppercuts and you had to and you had to drop legs or drop a knee, you know what I mean? Right. It was all completely different and it was rounds. The, the main event was eight eight minute rounds. Right. And if you did six rounds, if you did less than six rounds, the house would be empty the, the next time. The people demanded six, six, eight minute rounds at least. Wow. You do around eight minutes, and then the other matches it would be eight five minute rounds. You know, the main event would be eight eights, yeah. and the other matches would be eight fives. Now, when I started, it was amateur wrestling up to intermission. And then there'll be three main events, three professional matches. That's how it went. Yeah, I, I remember that. I, I just—it was so awkward for me, you know, breaking in and and and, and a time limit match where there's, you know, you just go straight through. And then, you know, uh, as you know, uh, Jim Barnett had a deal with Steve where he would send uh, some of his crew over to New Zealand, you know, like every yeah. other week uh, for a big show. So yeah. I got 
got sent over with Bobo Brazil a couple of times and learned how to drink Canadian Club on the way over there. And the great <laughs> thing about it, it custom back in those days, you could, you could buy a quart of Crown Royal Canadian Club, which was a yeah. uh, uh, Bobo's I, favorite yeah. favorite choice of drink for like three bucks for a quart, John, or yeah. two liter <laughs> two liter bottle, I think it was. So it, it was perfect, but yeah having to adjust the round system, you know, cause you get the people going, you know, you got eight minutes. So we're used to those sound bite matches. So you get the people going in eight minutes, all of a sudden, boom, there's a round and you, oh. you got, yeah, you got to start all over again. And if you don't have a tag partner in a tag, you could, while, while the round was in, in, in recess, you could sneak around. One could argue with the, um, the, re the referee and the other guy could sneak around and eh, eh, Get a little few shots in, but in right. singles, you, it would go cool, cold, and you'd have to start building it up again. Right. Unless you left the guy laying completely down at the end of the at the end of the round. It was and there was four ropes too, going through the ropes. Yeah, that was very difficult. Yeah. You get your head caught. You get your arm caught. <laughs> John, <laughs> yeah. you ever work in a ring with four ropes? Never. No, never with four oh, ropes. Man, we had, man, in Europe. Like, in Europe, we had rounds, and they had a, uh, in, especially in Hanover and Bremen, they had an apron yeah. that was about a yard wide. So you talk about street, you go over the top rope, you, you don't make it to the floor. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was it was one of these old top rings, but it's kind of that, that British system of, of rounds. So, but no, never the four ropes, but the rounds yeah, we did all the time. They were so difficult getting in and out of the ring. Now. Uh, Luke, uh, who did you guys have? I mean, are you just the local guys, or you guys no. get an influx of Europeans? Or, or yeah. I, know, I know Barnett when Barnett came down, but this is you broke in before Jim actually Boy, came. Mainly European. George Gudianko. George Gudianko. Um, there's um, Rasputin, um, Wild Angus Campbell. I don't know whether he, he worked in he worked in uh, Kansas City and around the country. Um, Les Thornton, you, you know Les Thornton well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A good cat. He's dead now. Sorry. Yeah, Les Les Thornton. And um, you know a lot of British guys, a lot of British guys from and Europe. Now Andre, I'm moving forward anyhow. I don't want to move so fast forward. In 72, uh, uh, in 72, Jim left Australia and, and um, Larry Day and Ron Miller took over with the, with, with the um, family, the um, Fullers. I was on one of those last cruises for Barnett, uh, Luke, yeah. right, and, right and, before he sold it. And when Barnett, when he, in, in 72, that's why I wasn't there then. I'd already come over here. In 72, that's when Jim Barnett put 10-minute rounds or 12-minute rounds, and that was the whole match. You know what I mean? He changed the whole system, and then and he got the three ropes back in. But um, in, going back in the 60s, Andre came over to New Zealand, or Gene Faree came over to New Zealand in 69, 70. I've got a photo with He, he was like 350. He looked skinny. You know what I mean? But he... We butcher me work handicap matches around the country with him and tags with Steve, Steve, um, Steve Rickard and Andre. Yeah, and Steve Rickard was an Olympian uh, that uh, uh, for New Zealand that ended up coming back after the war and buying the territory, right? Yeah, he was. Steve Rickard was a drunk. Yeah. 
I shouldn't say, you know, he's dead now, but he, I can tell you a lot of stories. Mark, Mark, Mark Lewin and King Curtis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, tell, yeah, us, tell us more about tell us more about Andre when Andre was coming down. Was he a great athlete in the ring there, or was he just beginning? How how was he? Yes, he was an athlete, mate. He was still, you know, um, not green green, because he'd been working. He hadn't worked in England much either. Only a couple of times he mainly worked in Europe, and you know how Europe was then. There were still rounds back in Europe and that, and. You know, we when we learned too, it was a lot of mat work. You know, I, I worked with semi-professionals when I first started with cauliflower ears, buckled noses. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, it was um, and it was mat work. None running to the ropes and doing stuff off the ropes. You learned how to do take a guy knock up, take a guy down, and do a series of moves back up on the feet. You know what I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and you were saying also there was no kicking and punching, right? So it was mostly takedowns and, and maneuvers to get the guys down from your feet, not from the ropes or from hitting or kicking. No, no, no. Hardly hit the ropes. Never hit the ropes more or less. Hit the turnbuckles and that, but not the ropes, you know, and come off with lines. It wasn't until I went to Australia and Butch, when we went to Australia, that we learned how to punch and kick. You know what I mean? Because Jim Barnett had heavy, Jim Barnett had heavy artillery in there, heavy. Right. And I'm talking about the Von Erichs, the um, Tanaka and Fuji, um, Abdullah, Big Bad John. They had all heavy, you know, Buddy Austin, Brute Barnard, heavy, heavy, heavy hitters those days in the 60s. What was the that... hold on and, and then pound the guy to death, grab a hold and make the guy work out of it, and then pound him to death. It wasn't till when I came back in the in the mid in the mid-70s when I came down to New Zealand to do the TV and I went and worked in Australia, they were doing all the fullers were there with them, and it was high spot. That's when it was high spot time. But Jim Barnett's, it wasn't high spots, you know what I mean? Was the four ropes uh, just in New Zealand, or was it also in Australia? Because I wouldn't even. You say you don't didn't run them. You know, when you when there's three ropes, it's easy. Because when you hit the ropes, you put your arm over your hip, kind of gets on the middle rope and slingshots you off. With four ropes, I wouldn't have any clue how to how to run them. How difficult was it? And did you guys just not use them? Did you guys just not run the ropes much? No, we didn't. We we did mainly chain wrestling. And in and, and Australia, when I was there anyway, they they switched to three ropes. I don't know if they were ever four ropes, but they were three ropes because Barnett had brought the American style yeah. in, in Australia uh, before they did it in New Zealand. So you yeah. said Steve Ricard had a little bit of a fascination for the bottle, huh? Uh, yeah. he, he was a publican. He was an ex-detective. He hated drugs. Hated drugs and that... And uh, but he was a drunk, you know what I mean? He, I can tell you stories of him in the ring, a drunk and falling out of the ring, and the police on the outside, and all you could smell was booze, you know. <laughs> was so, it pretty rugged? Was it pretty rugged back in back in those days? I mean, shoot time. And I, I know when I went over there, there were a lot of Samoans on the card, so I know there was an influx of Samoans starting to work at that time. This I'm talking 70, late 71, 72, and the 73. 
Yeah, well, I Butchimi left early '72. Okay. So we came to we came over to um to to the North America then, and that's funny. Did you, guys, did you guys come over for the flunks uh, when you first come over to America, or did you go somewhere? No. Uh, Stu, where'd you go? We lost him. He went to America, man. Where'd he <laughs> he go, bud? America. He wanted to talk about New Zealand, but he wanted to talk about America. See, folks, it's just not me. John blames it on me every <laughs> week, but I did nothing this week. There you are. We're seeing you now. Turn your phone <laughs> the other way there. You got what call there? You got a damn turn your phone turn the other your way. Turn your sideways. I'm a, I am sideways. Yeah, you always okay, been well, sideways. Turn it, turn it. No, I've got it. I've got the phone parallel. Turn it the other. We'll turn it the other way then. <laughs> okay, now turn it back and see if it corrects. There you go. There you go. See? Perfect. Perfect. Now we're, we're, see, we're, how, we're, see how smart my partner is. Yeah. <laughs> you were talking about how great uh, football is. About, about football is the greatest. No, sport. no, no, no. That's what we you're talking, talking about. about the territory we came into. The, actually, Andre came over to North America to a company called Grand Prix in Montreal, owned by the Vachons and Edward Capontier, the flying Frenchman. Now, and is that, how you, is that how you guys got your opportunity through Andre? Andre put in a good No, word. no, no. Steve had talked, we, we wanted to come away, and Steve told uh, Butcher and Mad Dog, he knew them both. And then, and um, he, that's where we came in. We came into that Montreal territory too. That was our first territory. And uh, when we got there, they were running three towns a night and the Rougeos were running one town a night. So that's how much wrestling was going on in Ontario and Quebec. It wow, that's amazing. And when, when did you and Butch, were you and Butch a tag team at this point? And when did you guys first become a tag team? 66. And what made you guys become a tag team? Well, how come those days we'd have, as I said, there was only three matches in a card and then there was four matches. And that I'd do a single, Butch would do a single, and then we'd come back after the mission and do a tag. The heavyweight man, one main event. And that's all, that's how the card was. Two sing, uh, two three singles, two singles before intermission, and then a tag after intermission, and then the and then the title match, the world title match, whatever. How did you first run into Butch? I mean, how did you guys become lifelong friends like you become? Well, he he started with uh, a guy who was trying to who was friends in the gym in the YMCA. He met a guy and he started training with him and that and the guy says I'm gonna run a few shows and took him and took him with him to, to run a few shows but they were the shows were dead and um and um then he, he was introduced to our gym and he came down and that and worked out in our gym and um next minute he's in the ring with us this was before Steve Rickard this was for the guy John De Silva before nine, before 1966, we would only run so often when they brought a European over. I, the first American that I really met over there 
was the destroyer, Dick Byer. He came over there in the early 60s. And then, of course, worked as Dick Byer and as the um, destroyer. And uh, so those days, we'd run, when something came in like that, we maybe run two or three shows a week for about uh, three weeks or a month, then the guy would leave. In 1966, John De Silva come back. He was over for the Empire Games in England. He became a medalist, and then he turned pro in England, came back and opened New Zealand up six days or seven days a week in 66. And that's uh, when seven Butch days a week. Uh, Luke, I hate to cut you off, but this is so interesting to me. I mean, you're in a country now, and TV hadn't quite caught on yet, right? Did you TV guys, wasn't even in the country, mate. TV wasn't even, wasn't even in the country. And so you were, you got to run in these six, seven shows just by, by word of mouth oh, and, posters. Uh, and local yeah, promotion and old school posters and flyers. And, and, stuff radio, like and radio. And radio. And we'd go to the town. We'd, we'd do a town and then travel through the night to the next town. So the, the newspapers would come and photo us in the morning and then and put a big thing on the sports page that we're in town. For. So we'd get the publicity that way. Everyone would, everyone would buy the local rag, you know. It came out at four in the afternoon. So we'd get on that local rag, get in the town early in the morning, get on the local rag, and the posters would be put up a couple of weeks beforehand in the town. And if they wanted to, we'd go down to the radio and, and one of the, the guys from overseas would talk on the radio. Wow. So... Uh, uh... When did TV actually hit where you guys were getting a, getting a wrestling show? Was it Australia you were getting, or was it? Was no, it we didn't get. Well, TV started in, in um, 80, and 67, started at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and finished at 8 o'clock at night. The and whole then, network. <laughs> and then it went to 9 o'clock at night. Top Cat was the main, at 8 o'clock, Top Cat. That was the main fucking. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Was uh, was Tony Gurria around then as well? Or was, was that John? What's that, JBL? I'm sorry. Was, was Tony Gurria around back then? When did when when yeah, was Tony, Tony Gurria in New Zealand? Tony Gurria went to work in Australia. He worked. In, he was from Auckland. Butcher me had his first matches with him. And um and um he went and then he worked at, and he went to Australia and Jim Barnett liked him. And then he went back and forth to Australia. Next minute he was in Jim Barnett had him in Florida, and I think he had a short stint in Carolinas and then straight up to New York. And he was from 75 or 74 in New York to 212, 230. <laughs> So you guys had a had had a uh, third match with it. How was it? What, what, the, tell us a little about it. We want to we want we want to get on Tony here a little bit. So give give us a scoop about how great Gray was in his first three or four matches. I can't remember, mate. It was is that memorable? Huh? <laughs> I don't so like JBL's first and second. I, I guarantee you this though, Jerry. Whatever Tony made in his third match, he still has that money. He still got it in his damn bank account in New Zealand. <laughs> that man's yeah. every dime he's ever made. <laughs> he's got you know, yeah, I, I was with Tony a couple of weeks ago, uh, Luke. Uh, not to cut you off, but I did. But I was with him a couple of weeks ago doing one of these virtual shows like you were talking about earlier. 
and Tony and I were, were, were talking about, you know, how long we'd met each other and everything, you know, and, 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 and I said, Tony, I said, you know, here, here's your chance to dispel some of those myths about you never paying a toll. He said, the guy was telling the, telling the story, probably never paid a toll. He said, I paid my toes. I said, sure. And I asked him to buy me a soda and he said, he didn't have any change. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but so uh, he didn't, he, uh, you don't remember much about it, but uh, Tony was a, was a heck of an athlete and looked fantastic for the part. Cause I remember when I first met him, he'd just come to Florida and he, I mean, he, he looked like a, a special athlete. Yeah. He, he was, a, he was, as I said, he was a good rugby league player, you know, top, top in the club. And he was an athlete. Why do you good think Steve Rickard never made it to the States because he was the owner and he just, he did, he liked to booze too much or what? He came in and out of the States. Did he? In NWA meetings and did a few show, shows around the well, country. I know he made the NWA meetings. Matter of fact, I was going through a deal and I found a I found a uh, NWA membership role uh, and Steve's listed on there. Yeah, because he he bought it way back to New Zealand, and it was NWA New Zealand was NWA and that and that so. Because I know my brother went down and defended the title with him for uh, for him and with him. Yeah. This year, it's time to get off the couch and get back in the bedroom. Blue Chew can help. Guys, we know that confidence can take you far in life. And when you feel confident, you're at your best, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night. So you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com. Consult with one of your licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluechew tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. They always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it comes time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code JBLGB at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code JBLGB to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. So anyway, you, you make you you make it now. Steve had called uh, called Montreal and then you you made that big journey in Montreal, your first time ever in, in North America, right? Yeah, we'd worked we'd worked Japan, we'd worked uh, Singapore, Bangkok, and uh, all that area. You know, in Australia, but we had never been over to. And we used the, the magazines. I've seen magazines, American magazines, and that, and we knew that this was the place to come to. Did you and guys the, get those old after magazines down in New Zealand too? Yeah, George George Napolitano and after. Yeah, 
George is a good George is a very close friend of mine. George, George is a great guy. Yeah. They, yeah. So you got you got those old wrestling reviews and wrestling illustrated magazines. Yes. Yes. So that was your kind of your communication. So you you were seeing these photos of of, of, of these guys, most of most of the cover photos back in those days for shock value. Some guy had face was a crimson mask, bleeding all over everything, right? So what do what do you guys think about that? Did you get blood? Was there blood in Australia or New Zealand at the time? No, very rarely. If it was, it was the hard way, right? Yeah, but it was the hard way. <laughs> and well, what do you what do you think when you saw all those all those magazines with the blood all over them? Uh, a bunch of stiff blokes or what? <laughs> Mate, that's going so far back, mate. I'm an old Jerry. I'm an old fart. I'm mid seventies. Well, hey, I'm older than you, and I remember seeing those magazine covers and scaring the heck out of me, man. You yeah. see, Brumenard. Wait, wait a minute. Blood. You you claim you're old, but you're still wrestling. So don't yeah. don't give us this crap <laughs> about you being old. I I love hey I loved old Brute Bernard, <laughs> Buddy Austin. They, now that Buddy Austin was crazy. You know, I, I, mean? I, I, I had some of my first matches in Australia, buddy. Austin, yeah. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> he, he was crazy. He, 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 you talk about somebody who who liked the booze. Bud Rowe was in the booze quite a bit beforehand. You know? <laughs> it was a match. He was a drinking. Well, last last week we were talking about Eddie Graham down here in Florida flying the plane while he was drinking. And uh, you know, but and it's no worse than getting in the ring with Buddy Austin or, or Brute Menard when they've been drinking. Did you? Was you ever a part of the of the, of the flight uh, when when Eddie was on the on the booze? I, we ended up in Ocala one night from <laughs> Miami to Ocala, and you were going to Tampa, right? <laughs> no, we're coming home from. Miami. And, we're and you landed in Ocala. That's about two hundred miles the other way, man. Yeah, yeah, one hundred fifty, one hundred twenty past Tampa. See, yeah, John, man. I'm not the only one. Oh, my God. Did, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did, did you land in Ocala? No, no. He, I don't know how he turned around and came back. Was he going to land in Ocala? I don't even know he knew we were there. <laughs> <laughs> he probably did. This, this it just drives me this, this is insane. Does it not bother you to get it with there with the pilot that is – so it does, it does now, Jed does now, John, but it did back then. You just wanted to get off. You wanted to save that six-hour Miami trip because back then we had no interstates. We we you know, no. highway 41. You know, you get on those two days to go through alligator alley, you know, dodge alligators and the damn water moccasins, you know. Alligators so that 20 minute flight was a hell of a lot more appealing, even with a drug pilot. So you're thinking if you live, you get home pretty quick. Yeah, well, you know, you've been behind the wheel, and we're all dumbasses. We got behind the wheel with a guy just as drunk as Eddie was behind the wheel of a damn airplane, you know. And they usually <laughs> yeah. said that, usually sitting in that co pilot seat, somebody had a little bit of experience, you know. Like Terry Monk. Terry Monk, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know that Eddie drank while he was flying. You know, I knew he was a drinker, but no, I. I never knew. I said he wouldn't drink while he's driving or flying. <laughs> Little did I know that he, he didn't fly unless he was drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was good at it too. Wasn't he? <laughs> he's he landed a couple times at the wrong place, didn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And like ran landed the wrong way several. Right? landed the wrong way and took off the wrong way a few times. He took off the wrong way at an airport. 
Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Jerry. Jerry, what about Old Blue? The old... Old Blue, yeah. Old yeah blue. We, used to, we used to name our airplanes down there. We had Old Blue, Old, old Red, Old Orange. We had a lot of them down there. We had, that that tail, we had that tail dragger that caught on fire that time. Rocky Johnson jumped out of the airplane as we were taxiing down the highway. He saw smoke in the back of the airplane. He was sitting back by one of those drop-down doors, and he dropped that damn door down. And as we were taxiing, it jumped out of the damn thing. We went, what the hell is he doing? He's crazy. All of a sudden, we saw the smoke coming out. We all wanted to jump out of the door, too. It <laughs> <laughs> wasn't a fire. Yeah, there's a fire, fire in the commode, man. Somebody been back there in the doobie or something, I think. <laughs> You're kidding? Oh, wait a minute. So somebody's smoking <laughs> on the plane and gets the plane on fire? Yeah, back, back, in those days, that, back on those days, you could smoke on commercial planes, you know, so it wasn't anything. I know, unusual. but you normally don't catch the plane on fire. Yeah, <laughs> you normally. You know. <laughs> KBL. This, these these planes we're talking about, they'd go on the runway and they'd rattle as they went along the runway and they'd go, uh, 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 trying to get off the fucking ground, trying to get up into the air. And they growled, uh, they growled trying to get up. And they never paid any attention to how much you weighed, you know. I mean, the guys, you know, the wrestling crew get on there and some of the biggest guys on there, you know. Some biggest guy stars in the country are on that damn airplane. You know, if it gone down, they killed half the territories in the United States. <laughs> so what happened to the plane that caught on fire? Oh, they pulled it, pulled it over the side of the runway. The fire truck came out, put the commode out, and we got back on the airplane, flew to Miami. Did Rocky get back on? Yeah, he got back on. Yeah, he wanted to get to Miami. <laughs> So Rocky jumped out going down the tarmac. We're going, you know, going down the runway, man. Going down the runway? Well, yeah, we're taxiing out to take off. I, uh, we all we all get it, Rocky. If we'd been up off the when you jumped out, he said, "Hell yes." <laughs> so then you put the fire out, and Rocky just gets back on the plane, and you guys he take just off. gets back on the plane. We all just get back on the plane like it's another Wednesday. You know? <laughs> Does that that doesn't seem normal to me? Luke, uh, back me up on this, man. <laughs> yeah, but, mate, crazy things back in those days, mate. <laughs> we started telling you some of the crazy things, and the and the ribs and the ribs were heavy. Anyone today that'd be crying, that they'd leave the business. <laughs> these these people had no when they ripped each other, they were heavy, weren't they, Jerry? What was your what was your favorite rib there? My uh, well, the hearts were the hearts kids with a um, what's it called now? The name of it. You know, with the 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 husband comes home, catches the guy. Oh, Mabel, the, Mabel, the Mabel room. Yeah. I, I was involved in one of those one time. You and was then, involved in one of them. Wow. I wasn't involved. I was at the party when they set it all up, and the guy went right through the glass window. And it was I heard gunshots in the bedroom. Next minute, I look out, and the guy's running out in, with no clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So, so explain to us the rib. The marble, the maple, yeah. yeah. I was uh, uh, Jerry. You 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 do the honors here. Okay. <laughs> well, what when a new kid would come into the territory or business, you know, you know the the girls, you know, they're they're they were everywhere back in those days, you know, and uh, and uh, guys took liberties with them. So 
they set it up where there'd be this gorgeous woman come come to the masses. Of course, a young guy. Hey, who is that? Who is that? Can oh, that's Mabel. Y'all fix you up with her. She lives out in the country. She's married to a truck driver. You know, we're all going to have a big party out her house later because her husband on one of these cross country uh, uh, stamps and they won't be back for a few days. Okay, where? So you write down the direction. It's always way the hell out in the country, some old farmhouse or something like this. You go out there, there's a few guys, part of the guy comes in, there's Mabel. And, and the kid, you know, they they, they get a, get attached to each other. Pretty soon they disappear. As soon as they disappear, in comes the, uh, the, 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 the husband from the long truck drive with a gun. He's blasting it. All of a sudden he kicks in the door, you know, while the guy's in there with, but supposedly his old lady, Mabel, damn it, I knew you were messing around with me. The damn wrestler fires off around. Of course, a guy gets up. It 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 caused mental issues with Don Jardine, the spoiler. They did it to him up in Canada somewhere, and he was mentally unstable from then on out about this. And of course, <laughs> yeah, the, guy would take, the guy would take off running. The guy would sit there, fire off three or four shots. So, you know, he'd run all the way back into town, usually naked, you know. <laughs> so, so, so this rib was done so often it actually had a name. It had a name. Yeah, you got Mabel, you know, right? Yeah, right, right, got right. Mabel. Yeah. yeah, same thing happened at a party. The the hearts, the the hot kids were were bad. The deed is dead now. The, the little one, but um, they were bad at doing a Smith crazy ribs. You know what I mean? Coke too, putting little sachets of Coke in a guy's pocket in the dressing room while he's in the ring. These are guys that come into the territory and they like, think they're hot shots and, you know, that think their shit don't stink and they're shit, and they're shit house workers. You know what I mean? <laughs> they put them, they have a car, police car on the highway, police car, you know, the, the things you sort of like, you sit up on top of the roof that flashes, the, the magnetic one goes on the roof. You, you can put it on the roof. We're going on the highway and we've got the guy in the car with us and um, the, the, these two guys pull us over, friends of hearts, but they're in suits and they're in a Ford, a, a Ford whatever it is now, same as what the police cars were wearing, but it was a private, you know, and uh, they pulled us over, the light flashing, and they said, we've um, heard that there's, Guys carrying drugs, so they search us all. They come to this guy and they find these little sachets of sugar, icing sugar, coke, and that. Now we're out in the country and it's the middle of winter. You know, they handcuffed them to a re to the side of the road to a fence post, and they said, We'll come back and get you. And they never come back, left the guy there. And they say, Oh, I just got a call. Hang on right here while the guy's handcuffed. We'll be right back. And of course, they take off and they never come back. And they and, and they, they eventually eventually somebody eventually comes along and 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 lets the guy out. But that happened out at the E-Hall Junction, you know. E-Hall Junction, I mean, there's highway a stretch <laughs> of highway 60 that for like like 70, 80 miles ain't nothing but Texas cow pastures. I mean, both yeah, all yeah. you can see for miles is cows, you know. Like well, out, out, out on that Highway 60 where all these things happen, right, Luke? Yeah. Isn't the Highway 60, Ehor Junction is where that big lake is, where that, that used to have a monstrous um, gator in it? Yeah, yeah. A monster, yeah. Yeah, they had like a 15, 17-foot gator in, in the damn thing. We used to 
tease guys about throwing them in, especially the Texas guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there was a lot of fun back there. So you're up, you're up, you're up, and now you're up in, uh, up in. Uh, wait, up wait in a there. minute. Wait a minute. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, I'm still here. I'm still here too. And most most of the guys I ribbed are still here. Are died of natural causes. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the worst ones, JBO, was Jay York and, and um, Greg's father, Greg Valentine's father. Johnny. Jay York came back from a match <laughs> to the ring, and he used an atomizer, you know, inhaler. And oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Greg's father put, put ether in it. Johnny Valentine to put ether in it. So Jay York, I don't know whether you know. Jay, Here's a guy that can die of asthma and Johnny Valentine putting ether in his, uh, in his uh, atomizer or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you heard of Jay York? Do you ever heard of Jay York, mate? Yeah, yeah, the last one. John, John. Yeah, oh, John. I knew Johnny. I didn't know Jay York. No, I, I knew uh, Johnny through Greg. I wrestled Greg some in Texas, and Johnny two, There was two brothers called the Alaskans, and uh, this guy was in the Vietnam War, and he worked with detonators and all that sort of stuff, blowing up stuff. Anyhow, <laughs> this atomizer, when he came back from the ring and breathed it in and knocked him flat to the floor, right? And then the next day, when um, Valentine was coming to the show, he, all the boys had Valen had those Halliburton aluminium cases at the time, you know, with their wrestling gear in. So, so, you know, 26 inches, 30 inches by 25 inches, and, you know, about a foot deep or nine inches deep. They carried the gear in that. I hear that fucking, I wasn't there, of course, but I hear that fucking, um, Jay York went up to it and with a shotgun and blew that right out of fucking Valentine's hand. <laughs> this is a guy that blew up cannons in town squares and sit in a hotel room and he ignited it just for pranks, get high as, high as hell and blow up shit in town squares. <laughs> Jay was I don't think those guys would survive today. Jay was a little shell shocked, John. I mean, truthful. I mean, legit. Yeah. You know, Johnny. I was I always told because Johnny, I knew Johnny through Greg, uh, that he would he would Skandor Agbar used to tell me, or Murdoch would tell me he'd break off the knobs in a shower and leave the showers on hot. Johnny had such strong hands that he would literally break off the stuff, and that way nobody could shower. <laughs> Yeah, there, there were some brutal ribs back there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you you had to, you know, guys nowadays, you know, JBL threw me out of the locker room, you know. Why? Because I'm an idiot. You know, well, back then, uh, you, all you did was uh, you ribbed the shit out of them until they left the locker room on their own accord. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And a lot of them left and never came back, right, Luke? <laughs> yeah, right, mate. As I said before, the guys couldn't take it today. The, the, the talent out there, it would be too much for them. I don't know. Maybe some of them got better ribs uh, than we pulled. I mean, well, our our ribs were barbaric. Uh, they were they were good for their time, but I, they wouldn't fly today. We'd all be in jail for some some while. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I first went to Montreal, mate, the Hollywood Blondes, Dale Roberts and Jerry Brown. Now, there's a couple of people that were wild. And they were making super money because, um, as I said before, the territory was on fire. Now, this was 
72, 71, 72. And um, they would throw furniture out of six floors. There would be rows of cars on, on Maisonoff Avenue, you know, the main St. Catherine ran here. The next street over was all the main traffic was three three lanes each way. And they were eight floors up in apartment buildings and they would throw furniture out and laugh and watch it bounce off roof of cars and cars. This is the shit that they did. You know what I mean? They come out of a bar and were drunk as cunts and, and um, Jerry would get in front of a car and... Buddy would run him and he'd bat drop the guy onto the hood of the car. You'd have the bonnet or the hood and the, the bonnet would go back down like this and they'd laugh and just go into the next car. You know what I mean? This well, was now, now this, this is your first tour to the to the North America from New yeah. Zealand where, you know, you guys were civilized down there compared to, to hey, what, the, what, did, what did you guys think of all this? Did you, wow, hey, this is great. I fit right in here or wow, what did I get myself <laughs> into? Hey, our, our sidewalks closed up at 6 o'clock at night, mate. The bars closed at 6, 6.30 had to be out. The only way you could get a drink when we left, if you were staying at a hotel and they had a, and they had a house bar, you know what I mean? Because the bars downstairs, all the pubs you stay in, the, the public bars would be downstairs, 6 to 6.30 closing time. It was a different world. And then all of a sudden we're in a country where we can go into a place <laughs> at 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock at night, get a meal, get a bottle of wine. You know, Montreal, the food the food was great and the women were beautiful. <laughs> Luke, I didn't realize that the Montreal Territory was that hot, that you had three nights a week running. JBL, and I didn't know up to about 10 years ago. The, the early 70s. Number 65084, um, equal housing lender. These resolutions are just hard to Quebec keep up with. But saving with money is easy at SaveWithConrad.com. Wouldn't 2022 be easier with lower monthly payments? Get the best rate you've ever had. Pay off your credit card debt. And even get the cash you need right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to get started. And you can even skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Patterson was from there. Did, did you ever run into Pat at all in uh, Montreal, or, or had he already left and gone to San Francisco? No, he was down in San Francisco by then. But um, the, the talent was unbelievable. I I can't think of it. the names of the talent. From, a lot of them were from had been down in uh, Australia with Jim Barnett. Some of the uh, Vashan's days, right? Vashan's was very hot back in those days too. What, who, where? Vashan. The Vashans. Oh, yeah, the Vashans. Yeah. And then they, they had a, what, a Rudy K, the K brothers. Yeah, uh, that was Leo, Leo, Leo Burke, uh, Beast, and all those guys. They were hot. That was in the Maritimes. And, and, and obviously, and the opposition, opposition to them was Emil Dupree. Emil Dupree was running off, um, Grand Prix Wrestling, the one, the company that Andre and us were working for, he had a pilot and he was using uh, the tapes up in New Brunswick against the, the Burks. Because there's two territories running in the Maritimes at that time. Emil, Emil and, uh, and Rudy Kay or the Leo, Leo Burke and that. There's four brothers. Because we had all those brothers in New Zealand. <laughs> 
They all came down to New Zealand for when they came back to do te television in New Zealand in '75. That's when on the mat, Steve Rico got on the mat. He had all that French connection there, you know. He had Rick Martel plus the Rudy K, um, the Beast. Rick, Rick, uh, Rick must have just started at that time, man. Beg your pardon. Rick must have just started in the business when they were there. Rick, Rick Martel. Rick Martel came on his. Michelle Martel was working for the K's in 1973, and that and he came for school holidays to to work with his brother there. He was young, 15 or 16. And he went home after the school, after the spring break or summer holidays, and told his mother that he was becoming a wrestler. <laughs> that was it. That was that was seventy four. So uh, you 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 had you guys had morphed into the uh, bushwhackers or sheep herders at the time. You were still. We were the Kiwis. You were we the were Kiwis then. Okay. I remember the Kiwis. I worked with every one of them, the Kiwis, the Bushwhackers, and, and the sheep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abe Jacobs, there's, there's Abe Jacobs, too. He was one of the original Kiwis. Pat? Abe was? Abe, well, you know, you, you, Abe from Carolinas. Uh, yeah, I know an Abe forever, yeah. Yeah, good guy. Yeah. And he, Pat, Abe, Abe is like 90, what, 92 years old now, and he's still kicking. Is he? God bless him. Yeah, but not Pat working every weekend like you are. <laughs> Pat O'Connor was from New Zealand too, but he wasn't so nice when he came to tour back in the he came down there in about um 68, 68, he shit on everybody. Even he, he people drove 60 miles or 80 miles from his hometown to Wellington to see him and that, because they did a little um a, a little private party afterwards. And he just ignored them, you know. They they were in the same class as them in school. So after after you left Canada, where where do you end up? Uh, you guys have after a year and a half, they said, you know, we'd have to start jobbing you. You know, <laughs> not <laughs> you know, we'd be, they'd be putting us over. We were the main tag in one of the towns every night. We, we got a break straight out of the the. We were lucky. The main heel there was um, Killer Kowalski, who we knew from Australia, and Andre was the main baby face. And then we fitted in. We worked with we worked with Andre and Capontier, and we worked with the Italians, Dino Bruno and Gino Bravo. And then, you know, and that's all we worked with, and, and the Vachons. For were, that you guys baby, were you guys baby face or heels at that time? Heels. Crazy heels, and uh, and um, and they said, you know, you can stay, but we will have to start um, building, getting another fresh team in, and you'd have to start. And they said, but we we can book you out somewhere. And they said, we've got your book. If you want to go, you can go to this territory called Stampede. We never heard, of, we never heard of Stampede. We never heard of Stu Hart. So 70, 1970s. Late 73, we arrive. This is a good story. We arrive in Stampede and we stay at the hotel downtown Calgary where the boys have been staying for 20 years. The Calgarian, or next door to it. And um, we arrived on a Thursday. 
Friday, you do the um, you do the pavilion. Now the pavilion is in the fairgrounds, and there's and there's the corral too. The corral held about ten or twelve thousand. The pavilion held three. That's where they sold the the cattle and all that. And um, you did TV there on a Friday night, which showed at ten o'clock Saturday morning. So we're in the ring. The first night we we meet Goldie Archie. He's the booker, the Mongolian stomper. We're working against the champions, and we're getting DQ'd, right? And um, so we're in the ring. We haven't excuse not there anything other. We haven't even we don't know about the eight. We don't know about the four girls and the eight boys. <laughs> We've got no idea about that. And um, we're in the ring. We we got we're getting DQ'd. We, we're hitting them with our flagpole. We've got New Zealand flagpole or chain. And the two two champions, we've got juice on them. Next minute, these fucking kids get thrown in the ring. And, and a guy's yelling out, beat him up, champ, beat him up, champ. Those words you may have heard quite a few times when I tell you, beat him up, champ. Now, two of these kids are bleeding and two are not. The guy had gigged them. So you, 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 that's giving you a good idea who it is. And he's telling us to beat him up. Fucking Abdullah is throwing his kids into us and telling us to beat him up. I'm throwing Sue's kids and telling you to beat him. Was Brett one of them? <laughs> was, was, Brett, was Brett and Owen one of them? One, a couple of yeah, them? They're, they're between 11. They're between 11 and 13. 10 and 13, you know. Owen, Owen's too young. Uh, it's not Owen. He, he's still a baby. <laughs> Anyhow, we, yeah, we it wouldn't make the, any difference to Abdullah. <laughs> yeah. And so we leave the ring, and there's six guys laying there, and we start walking back, and we get to the chute, you know, to go down to the dressing rooms. There's the heel dressing room and the baby face dressing room on either side, and the front of the chute, there's this this guy about 5'10", 5'11", a thick, stocky-looking guy with fucking rough-looking hair. And then, he says, what the fuck are you doing? They're my kids. This is Stu. This is our first introduction to Stu. What the fuck are you doing? They're my kids. <laughs> and, then, and he's most probably laughing to himself because he was a big river. Stu was a big you, river. You didn't, you didn't have to go to the dungeon over that, did you? No, no. No, no. I've got a story at Stu's home, though. Been at Stu's home for dinner numerous times. Because when I actually left, we were left in charge of the place, and then and um, some Wait, days you guys were left in charge of the place. Oh well, there's the territory, you know, like putting <laughs> the things together and the matches and for the week and that. And um, we go to Stu's on Sunday, so I know about and but Stu, I see Stu would get big guys down on the floor in the there, and he wouldn't take the hold. He would tell them to get on their hands and knees. Then he would put the hold on and then tell them to fight out of it. And they would shit themselves or their eyes, the veins in their eyes would pop. You know what I mean? Most of those holes are designed when you when they, when you put them on, they really don't hurt. But when you fight them is when they start hurting, right? Yeah. Stu was sticking the hips. And, you know, down the heart, you know how thick he was in the thighs right. and the hips? You couldn't, once he was on top of you or there, you couldn't move him. You know what I mean? You could go, but he was just As home. Terry Funk would say, he's got childbearing hips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Calgary has. I've seen him do that on numerous guys. Down in the dungeon. God bless. But, but yeah. you guys were you guys weren't weren't part of that uh that oh, part of the work. Good. No. <laughs> but we were that, in that, that, was, that was that was an interesting territory, a wild territory. And you know what? For for where it was, it was very successful for many, many, many years and spawned so many great international stars out of that territory yeah. also. I remember traveling with Harley, 120 miles an hour. Harley's got a dozen beer beside him, and he's got a gun in his hand. He's drinking beer, firing out and driving the car all at once. Drinking <laughs> beer, bang, 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 120 miles an hour. <laughs> but he, back in those days, Harley was wild. He was invincible, man. He's bulletproof and invincible. <laughs> yes, he was. Well, you know him from those days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been reared to end by him at 100 mile an hour going down an interstate with no lights on. He he reared you? Oh, yeah. He got, that was one of Harley's favorite ribs. Remember, he would, he would, he would, he would come up if, if you were traveling uh, on the road, he would come up here. Kind of get where you're back in those days, you had CB radio, so you kind of yeah. keep track where everybody was. So Harley would keep track of you. Then all of a sudden, he'd turn out of his lights and speed up, and you'd be going along 70, 80 miles an hour. All of a sudden, boom, from the rear end, it's Harley bumps busting you, man. <laughs> Crazy. You can, you, can imagine, you can imagine doing it to some of the people today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Wyndham got that from Harley. Right. Uh, they all did. That was a Harley gig, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Barry Barry was <laughs> Barry was notorious behind the wheel. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I I could I you know my story, Barry. We landed in an orange tree right across the street here. In a tree, right? <laughs> yeah, in a tree, yeah. <laughs> you you landed your truck in a tree. Yeah. Not on his little red wagon died truck, one of those super sport damn him. The Hemis before the Hemis come out, man, are more powerful than the Hemi. We 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 busted across the street. We hit the top of the tree. The tree dropped over. I mean, we knocked the tree over, but we landed right on the top of the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. And then pushed the damn thing out somehow before the cops got there. And I only lived half a mile stuck away. in the tree. Uh, we, we, well, we, 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 yeah, we, we, we weren't like, you know, like here's a tree and we're on top of it. the tree. And, you know, of course, when we hit it, it bent over. So the tree was underneath the, the truck. Yeah. <laughs> wheels are off the, wheels are off the ground. So we had to get the back wheels on the ground so we could get out of the damn place before the cops come. How'd you get the tree down? Did you shake it? The the truck. Oh, shake we were just got in the back of the back of the bed of the truck, started jumping up and down, and pretty soon it just and we're on the ground. So we started buried and I'm driving, I'm backing, you know. What did you do? Hit the dip in the road and take off? We hit the dip in the road. It said, it said there's a big sign there, and I'm telling Barry there's a dip here, and all of a sudden there's that sign, beware dip in the road, you know. We used to call them snuff streets. You'd drive a block and take a dip, you know. And, <laughs> Man, when we hit that dip, we got launched because we were going so damn fast. And then I warned him about it, <laughs> but it, you know, Barry, you don't listen. <laughs> and now you're stuck in a tree. Now we're stuck in a tree. We got to figure out how to get the hell out of there before cops come. Well, now, dude, when you opened the door, were you like above? You're still in the oh, tree. Oh, we were about two foot, two three foot off the off the ground. You know, and it wasn't bad. I mean, it's a nice little drop off. You know. <laughs> when, you're, when you're intoxicated, you can't feel a whole hell of a lot when you die. 
But we figured out how to get that truck out of that damn grove real quick, man, because we didn't want to get in trouble. About the time Barry turned into the driveway there, you could see lights starting to come around to where we busted the busted the tree over. <laughs> so somebody heard the tree break and called the cops? They called the cops, yeah. How yeah. dare they? Yeah, yeah, we're just another <laughs> Friday night, you know, <laughs> no death. <laughs> I, I got a Friday night special too. Santa, I've got the attack. I've got um, Carlos and I've got um, uh, Al Perez and I've got um, uh, Kiki Star from Puerto Rico and, who, and Manny Fernandez. Oh my they're, goodness! <laughs> they're all the the Latin connections, and we're going to a show north of Austin, northeast of Austin. We pass when we're going up to the show. We pass all these Brahmas on the side of the road, but they're in the grass on the side of the road. Maybe one male, eighteen hundred, all the rest are fourteen to fifteen hundred females. On the way back from the show, we're hitting it. With Butch and me, uh, we're doing about 80, 90. Manny's in front of us. He's going to be touching there 90 to 100. He comes around a bend and hits the fucking Brahma. He's lucky the thing didn't roll on the bonnet, you know, on the hood of the car. He hit it and it went down and it went down. Now he's stuck. The rest of them, rest of them get out of the car. It's a Cadillac. And the engines come back, but he's frozen in the fucking seat. He just froze him, shock, you know what I mean? Butch actually has to pull him out. He's not hurt, he's in shock. The fucking Brahma is lying down the road with broken legs. Butch goes up <laughs> and tries to put a figure four on it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. Well, we get in trouble for this, John. <laughs> yeah. The statue of limitations have got to be over with. I right? think the statue of limitations <laughs> out, at least in Texas. Hey, okay. anyhow, this <coughs> and tells the police, tells the next town, tells the policeman. So the come and sh policeman comes and shoots a Brahma. Then he says, the driver of the car, and Manny says then, he takes Manny's license and he says, Oh, you haven't paid these tickets and then you've got a warrant, we've got a warrant out for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> they put him, the, the car's right off. They put him in the police car. <laughs> and take him to the police station and lock him up. <laughs> we, we 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 got we put the other three Italian our lands in the car. Anyhow, we went to the police station and they said we got him out. We bailed him out. And that was the night with uh, crazy just coming around at ninety miles an hour and hitting a Brava at that speed. We were lucky. The fucking the, the, that was a female one at the end. The guy said it was around 1,400. The male, Butch, was driving out. The male, he he was about that far from our window when we put the brakes on. Wow. And he was 1,800 pounds. That was a scary night. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So how did you how did you end up from there in uh, Joe Blanchard down in San Antonio? Uh, how did I get to San Antonio? Yeah, because you, you end up booking for uh, Joe Blanchard in San Antonio, right? Was that during that time? Yeah, but yeah, but uh, no, we went after you know, this was uh, after being in Canada. We went home to New Zealand to do the TV in '75. 
when they got TV. Then we came back in 78, 79, and we were in Hawaii, in Japan, and then we went for Don Owens uh, in the Northwest. And that, and we were up there for a year and a half. It was Roddy Pipe and Rick Martell. We stayed, we worked against them for about 40 months. Roddy Pipe and Rick Martell. From from Medford, the top of California, up to uh, Vancouver, Canada. And, and Piper's the one that brought you into the Northwest from Hawaii, right? He, he met you guys yes. in Hawaii? Yes, we were in Hawaii working in that, and he saw us work. And uh, we said, we've got to get out of here. Hey, it was good living there. We just kept our head above water. We weren't making any money, you know what I mean? We were keeping our head above water. Flying to five islands a week, living on the beach, gym and beach, and eating. And that was it. And smoking and smoking pot with King King Sun. <laughs> <laughs> going up on Diamond Head. Going up on Diamond Head when I was shooting Hawaii 5-0. Every night we would fly over Diamond Head and see them doing Hawaii 5-0. You know, the, the television show? Right. With Jack Lord, yeah, and then we, we it was just living the life, you know, laying in the sun, and that was I, it. Uh, so Hot Rod got you over to Oregon. That was that was that was a hell of a territory back then. What talent uh, that territory had, you know, Fidel, uh, Fidel Sierra, and all those guys. And what a, the era I was in, everybody came: uh, Jimmy Snooker, Roddy Piper, Rick Martell. It was it was Skowski, um, Cowboy Ron Bass, and us. We all went. We all ended up in. We were all there at one time, and we all ended up in WWE. Wow. WWF. That just shows you the ter uh, the territory, the the power of that territory, and the talent that they that that Don hey, brought in there. We had a we had. I didn't know till later, but Roddy told us we did twenty two consecutive sellouts. In in uh, Portland, yeah. you know that's one place. That, you know, and in, in your career, sometimes you think back about it. You know, one th that's one place I really wished I would have went is is Oregon. You know, during my career, but I, I never made it out 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 on the west. Uh, and, and a long way away, mate. As you you know, you were it's a long way away from everywhere, yeah. especially Florida. <laughs> yeah, especially Florida. Yeah. There was only one long trip was Medford. You know that was the southern town, and of course you've heard the stories of you've heard the stories of Don Owens's brother Elton. Elton paying to get shooters off, right? Yeah, paying the shooters off. That if I start telling the stories there, and 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 um, was you ever involved in it? Tell us how that would go down. We've we've heard different we, things on this. We, we, we you know the story, right, John? Elton Owens yeah. would would go to one of the guys. Hey, I'll give you five bucks if you'll take him down. Then go to the other guy. Hey, I'll give you five bucks if you take him down. So we, let us hear some of it. Okay, then when we got there, he looked at Butch. Butch Butch wasn't like he was in WWE. He was about two forty then, big chest and big arms. He trimmed down. He trimmed down a lot and. He looked at Butch and he says, hey, can you you can shoot? And of course, Butch is in. I started shooting at seven. And and then and, and he says, Oh, you did? Well, you know, we, we, we have shoots here. And yeah, Butch said, and Butch says, Yeah, he went out out with my dad. I used to go pick hunting and deer hunting, shooting, you know what I mean? Bang, bang. Uh -huh. Now Elton come up to me and says, Your fucking partner's got a bad attitude. 
Yeah. Eldon had a shooting trophy, John, a trophy. They were sitting down. We talk about Salem. The rest of the, the dressing room was below the ring, underneath this little Salem, and it was notorious. You heard of Salem in Oregon, Salem? Sure, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, and that, the old hall was just like a theatre, and you go underneath it for the changing rooms. Anyhow, he would talk to the guys in that. He'd pay 20 and 10. He'd get two guys to shoot. He'd pay 20 for the winner, 10 for the loser. And the referee, there'd be a minute shoot or two, a minute and a half, two. And then and you'd go and lock up amateur style, you know, hook behind the neck and that. And then the referee would tap you on the shoulder, you'd break, and you'd go lock professional. <laughs> the fans all knew it. There's always the first or second match. <laughs> he'd have a shoot. Now, Elton would be kneeling. And his, he'd have his arms crossed like that, have his chin on his arms and on the apron of the ring with his head under the bottom rope or, over, you know, the, around the bottom rope. And he'd be there. And he would come back and he said, fuck, I think Bill had it over Jim. You know, what do you think, boys? And we'd all say, oh, no, I think Jim and we have the, we'd always put the other guy over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, the boys was, the week 2010, the boys would split it and take 15 each. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. now, did El never wise up that the boys learned it? No. Learned it no. Anyhow, this is anyhow. Sometimes it'd be too great. It'd be a great shoot, and there'd be no finish. You know, there'd be real rugged, and we yeah. say, El, you know, come back. He said, "Oh boy, that was a hell of a." And I said, "We'd all say, you better have it back a return match." So we'd have the return, and it would be thirty twenty. <laughs> oh no. 10, 10, 20, yeah, and then it'd be 30, 20, and he'd have a return match. And if it was a great one, we'd all argue when they come back. <laughs> and some of the boys would say, be on Elton's side, but the rest of them would be on the other guy's side and we'd get them up to three times for a third time. <laughs> and Elton's paying out now, he's paying out 50 or 30. More than a, pay more a payoff, right? Yeah. Now, El, uh, and Elton would we'd pay them off, and we'd have and we'd have a shooter's trophy. So the boys all broke that trophy up and and glued it together, just with um, crazy glue. So he, this night after he had the three of them, he, he said, "Well, you deserve the shooter's trophy." And he said, "Billy, give it to us. Give, give me the trophy." And the guy went up and sort of knocked the trophy off the table and hit the floor and broke into pieces. Elden fucking cried. <laughs> Luke, now, Luke, Luke, how 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 hot was uh, Roddy Piper back in those days in Oregon? Uh, was that when oh, Roddy was first coming into himself and finding that character? Yeah. He was he he was hot. He was hot. When we came in, we changed him babyface because he was a heel at the time. That's when we put the we put the fucking baby powder down his bagpipe. He went out and blew it <laughs> and blew the bagpipes and all the fucking baby powder come out. And, you know, Roddy would go out and play the bagpipes and then he would play them out of tune to get heat, you know, when he was a heel. And Elton and all the people would boo. And Elton would go out and grab the mic. He says, I know you guys can't play it. He's doing his best. Why are you booing him? This is Elton. Elton was a drunk. He's sitting there with a clear glass. A clear glass. Hey, I've only just started on these stories. Sitting there with a clear glass, and it was either gin or vodka, and he would sip it all night. Anyhow, 
He would go out of the, he would be smoking a big cigar. He would put a cigar down on the table with the end of that, with the you know, ashes sticking off the table, go upstairs. The boys used to grab the cigar, jam, Adrian Adonis or Roddy would jam it up their ass, turn it around and put it back there. Oh, I was down after the match, grabbing a cigar, and he was walking around with it, and he'd be talking to them, oh, yeah, yeah, and then he'd go, he'd go to put it near his mouth, he's just, and, and have it near his mouth, he says, who the fuck shit in here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he didn't know it was his cigar, they were, they were probably in his mouth. And uh, now, each... Each night, especially Monday night, he had a jacket. You know, Pendleton is another town in Oregon which makes garbage cloth and all suits and all that stuff. It makes cloth for a lot of factories that make suits and clothing. Pendleton is well known. And he, he, he had this check sports coat for Monday night. He'd walk past you and the boys would blade the back of the jacket. You know, back of the jacket. He'd come, and the next week he'd come and we'd say, Hey, you haven't got your Monday night jacket on. Him. He says, "But they don't make them like they used to. These are all falling to pieces on me." And he'd have the next night. He'd, he'd have another one on, and the boys would. <laughs> <laughs> his first wife, his first wife, uh, he used to come down and say, "Ellie, my first wife, I don't understand. I, I don't know what. To, how far can I go on this? Is this okay?" Oh, you want. He, Elder would come down and he'd say to the boys, I don't understand. The hair on the hair on the hair on Ellie's head is different than the hair on the pussy. The colour. He would tell the boys that, but she's got big tits, hasn't she? He'd be so drunk, he'd be saying, but telling us that the hair was different. <laughs> hair on yeah, he, anyhow. She uh, died. She died, and the second wife was crazier. She was a drunk. We would we would have Piper t- or Martel handcuffed to a corner, and we're beating out the other. We'd be beating on the other one, and the fans would be throwing shit into the ring. The other wife used to come into the ring with a mop and a bucket while the match is going on, and she'd be screaming at the people, "Stop throwing stuff!" And she'd be mopping the ring while we were in the middle of the match. <laughs> Wow. Who, who, was, who was you guys' opponent out there in Oregon? Who did you we, guys work? Who did you guys work with? With Roddy and Rick, Roddy Pipe and Rick Martell would go in. We we had Buddy Rose in our army. He was our flag bearer, and then and he saw an opportunity to get a longer run there. He was for ten. He was ten years in that one territory. Right. And that's so they would bring an Andre or they would bring a Jesse Ventura for six mans. You know, we'd do a week or in that, and they'd bring someone else in for six men, and then and then we'd go back to tags and singles. We stayed with them for maybe 14 months. Uh, so uh, after after you uh, you had your run there, uh, where where did you guys end up going out of out of Oregon? Yeah, it was straight to the Carolinas. The Carolinas. Who was booking in Carolinas at that time? Um. He, he, the guy that Vince first had for WrestleMania, George, George Scott, George Scott, nice guy. Yeah, George, great and and, and a brilliant man, to a brilliant booker too. I love the guy. Uh, who, but, uh, who got who got you into Carolina Piper or or uh, Don? Don, 
done. Then you know, after running, he says, after running, put us over because they put everywhere we went, everywhere we went, the second night or the third night, they put the straps on us. Uh-huh. So we were lucky. You know, we went down there and they put the pacifiers on us. The, the second week, they put the mid-Atlantic straps on us. <laughs> uh, the pacifiers. <laughs> Give you a belt, you won't bet you about your payoff, right? <laughs> Snook and Ray Stevens had the world titles. You know, Jimmy Snook and Ray Stevens right. had the world titles and we had the the, the mid-Atlantic. The Mid-Atlantic. Do, you remember, do you remember what year that was? It was about... Um, 80, 80, 80. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance yet. We never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now, and just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price. You start the online application immediately and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com. And you, so you had a short run there, right? And then you ended up in Florida from... No, no. We, this is a, we didn't know that you never gave your notice to that. We we didn't even realize we're on bloody um, US, uh, we're on TBS, a, a satellite station. Butcher me didn't even realize that. And we were, and they put the belts on us, they're putting us over every night like against Rocky Johnson, you know, tags. They're putting us over every night in places. And we got the call. We were on the road doing, do you know, Carolinas, you worked there, didn't you? Right. How many miles a week? 3,000? At least. Yeah, and then we got the call from Puerto Rico from Frenchie Martin, who was you know, down in New Zealand. He says, we've got a spot here for you, you guys, and that, and you can make 2,000 a week, and that you only do three days a week. That's a good deal. Puerto Rico is a great place to be. We didn't know that you don't give notice to Jim Crockett. Jim Crockett, you you wait for him to give you notice, and then he'll bring you back. So we gave him six weeks' notice, and that and he and we found out. And then later on down the line, Dusty wanted to get us back in there because I worked against Dusty and Blackjack, and um, he tried to get Crockett to bring us back in. Crockett, whenever he Crockett told him, and we walked out. We walked out on him after a second week notice. 
yeah, we gave him a six-week notice. We were there for six months. Wow. But we went to Puerto Rico. So you hit Puerto Rico hot and heavy, man. Uh, and that's that's when the heat really started for you guys, right? Yeah. And then I came back. And then I came back to Puerto Rico. Then I went out to Puerto Rico, that short stint of Florida, and then to, um then Jerry Jarrett. Memphis. Yeah, they had one hell of a run there with the fam- the fabulous ones. They just put them together with Jackie Fargo. That was and with Kern and Kern and uh, 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 who, who was Kern? Ben Lane. Yeah, that's when they first uh, teamed up too, right? Music videos. They did music videos and everything. They, they, they were, were they were so hot there, weren't they? They were making two thousand a week in merchandise, and that on top of their wage. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's an that's an eighty two mate. You know, that was big money those days, and we were doing. You guys had a hot, hot run with them all over the place, and and, we were making two thousand a week, approximately then eighteen hundred to twenty five. And that that, at that time, it was a hot, hot place. Till till Jerry Lawler did the takeover. Jerry Jarrett's away on holiday. And um, the TV guy, <laughs> you remember that you heard about this with Jerry Lawler and the guy um, did the TV, the uh, voiceovers, Lance um, Russell. Did, uh, and they went and signed the new contract without Jerry on it. Yeah. And um, Jerry was down the islands on a holiday, and Lawler had his own crew sitting in Mississippi to come in. So um, when he came back, there was a big change around. That's when Lawler had, he had a percentage of Memphis, but then he got a whole percentage of the whole territory after that, that takeover. You know, he got that's when he got in. And um, that's when the other crew was moved out and Jerry, and Jerry uh, Lawler took over the book. And uh, we weren't in Jerry Lawler's crew. <laughs> we, we were gone. You were gone. So that, that is that the Florida date then? I'm trying to get you to Florida back big time. Yeah, I know. That's we'd already been to Florida for the short stint after okay. Puerto Rico. Okay, after Puerto Rico. That's okay. when that when we when we come to that, that's when Dory was finishing up and he was blowing off the territory. He had he had Tully there, he had his brother there, and um, Terry there, and he was doing a it was a hot. It was blowing off everything, and that's when um, the the mask guy took over, um, who had the school and the wrestling school. I don't know. Yeah, Jody was, Hamilton. Jody Hamilton. That's when Jody Hamilton took the book. When when the when um when when Funk left to go to to Japan with his, with Terry. Dory went with Terry to back to Japan. That's when um, uh, Jody came in and took the book. Right. So you guys are our hottest hill team, basically in the country. There, off off of that Memphis run. There is that when uh, Vince first started eyeballing you guys, and is that where you started kind of saying, "Hey, WWE looks pretty good. WWF at the time looked pretty hot. Let's go there." I know it wasn't till it wasn't till I went then I went to Joe Blanchard and got the book there. And that's when I started selling tapes into Vince Senior. I was that that was the, the, those days it was Betamax. 
Now that's going back. Right, yeah. <laughs> Beta Max. Hey, hey Luke, were you were you in uh, Joe Blanchard when he had the USA Network deal? Yes. So uh, you you had the the book there with Joe, and then the 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 story that I heard at least was they took it off when they had the 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 cow the cow shit matches for lack of a better term with with Funkin with Funkin Tully right. That was yeah, that was Terry Funk. That what was, was that? You tell me what the, I had. That's one thing I've missed out on. Tell me a little bit. That was the the the, the, the uh, Scott Casey against uh, Jaggers. Jaggers. He was in a Florence area too. Bobby, Bobby Jaggers, Jaggers. Yeah, yeah. The man who was loose for the truth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's famous for it. <laughs> yeah, but he 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 told us he could water he, two seventy pounds. And uh, we're on we're on the Hillsborough River, and Dory's boat, and there's Tully, me, and Dory, and uh, Bobby Jaggers, the water ski. And Bobby's been telling us that he can water ski. We laugh at him. He goes out on those skis, and that he's skiing on the river. He drops the skis, and he's barefoot, and he's barefoot skiing. Now that's the only time he's told the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, the cow, the cowboy thing that we were doing um, in, for Joe Blanchard, we're doing it in the uh, little television place we did taping every Monday night. It was Scott Casey. It was horse against uh, a horse, a ranch. You know, the winner gets a horse, and they had a bucket of cow shit there. He says, well, cow shit. But the boys had pissed in it, shit in the bucket, everything. <laughs> And they had the horse, and they did this thing on USA Network where Bobby got out of hands and then and slaps Casey, and Casey picks up the in the promo. There's two of them there, right, doing this verbal face to face, and Jack, and Bobby um, Casey picks up the cow shit and jams it on fucking Bobby's head. Now um, Terry's told Bobby when he when he jumps on the head, pretend it's got suction in it, and pretend you're trying to get it off, but the suction is, is stuck there. Now all the shit and piss is dribbling down. The boys had loaded it up in the dressing room, and then uh, oh, it was fucking terrible. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so yeah, so we just paying turkey guys off there or what? Yeah, I think Vince. I think fucking um, Vince. Did a deal with Joe. I don't yeah, know. Because Joe had USA Network first, and then Vince ended up getting it from either what happened with the cow shit match or somehow Vince got it right after that. But yes, so many people don't know that, that Joe Blanchard had the USA Network first. Yes, yes. And then yeah. they brought you in to book after the uh, cow shit match. Yes. That was funny. <laughs> That was Tully doing that shit with Dory, with um, with Terry. Terry Terry was always on the phone. Coming, well, if you know Terry, the the wild shit. Um, Jerry knows him well. The wild shit that Terry comes up with is unreal. Yeah. Many many years, yeah. Terry Terry. So okay, you're, all, you're, so you all Dory's booking all Dory's booking. It was Terry's mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, Luke was that was. Was that the end of Blanchard's territory when he lost the USA Network? I mean, was that kind of something unexpected? Was that what hurt the territory? We had, still had NBC and we still had Sin. We had Sin, the Spanish network. We still had two other networks. 
And that's and um and that's when I started there. I was there for a year and a half. The, the worst thing I didn't do was turn babyface in the end. We all do make mistakes, you know. But the children, we got that territory rocking and rolling. I had my my babyface tag team was a Mexican, Manny Fernandez, and a redneck Captain Redneck Dick oh, Murdoch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a tag team? A Mexican and a redneck in Texas. You can't beat it. That that's Texas right there. And that was Texas. And we and we were on fire. With those two guys were on fire. And as you know, if Dickie didn't like anything, he could turn that match around. You know what I mean? He was a hell of a <laughs> Dickie Dickie, where well, you're look you're looking at two guys right here that, that love and respect Dick Murdoch. I mean, he was he, he, He's probably one of the most unsung great, great workers of, of yes. Those buggy whip arms, <laughs> those buggy whip arms, they were strong. That fist come around and knock you out. <laughs> Black Bart used to say he looks like a he's built like an upside down light bulb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Diggy had the worst body. He was oh, a yeah. strong, he was a strong, tough. And and could go. I mean, he was as quick as any uh, 130 pounder out there, man. He That's could, right. He could go. He'd do the flying head scissor when he wanted to. He'd do a drop kick. Dickie could do so much. He just didn't do it unless he wanted to. Unless he wanted to. And you couldn't get him to do it. No, not if you told him to. He wouldn't do it. <laughs> I better imagine what, what I was begging him to do stuff. And not tonight, kid. <laughs> Oh, okay, so yeah, so you 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 did you did your Texas gig. When's Vince McMahon come into the picture, and when's WWF come into the picture? You were sending tapes of Vince Senior, you said. So, yeah. But I, I I'm dying to hear that first face to face meeting that that you and Butch had with with Vince. Well, well I was, the next thing was I was back in, after that I was back in Puerto Rico. And I booked for Carlos for for more or less a year and a half, two years, and then uh, Monsoon was still a partner with Carlos down there then too. Yeah, wasn't yeah. and then, a lot and, of people, a lot of people don't know Monsoon. I was actually a partner with Carlos Colon in, yeah. in, in Puerto Rico. Yeah, he was a partner in there, and him and Javico were were really tight friends too. And yeah. Victor, Victor Javico. Victor Javico. And Hannes, yeah, or whatever. He yeah. pay you off in beers and fucking pandillas. <laughs> so uh, so uh, who, who got the word to, to Vince Jr. when you when you got Oh, no, no. After that, mate, we went to Bill Watts' territory. Billy Dundee rang me up and he says he was booking for, for Bill Watts when they had the big run with the with – the, um, the Rock and Roll Express right. and the Midnight Express. And he said, we're all leaving. And I said, he said, I spoke to Bill Watts. They want you to come in as Booker. So I I finish up with Carlos and go down there. And I've got, Billy had already gone about six weeks ahead of, ahead of me before I got there, two months. And uh, they had Dickie Murder, Dickie uh, Slater. Slater as a Booker. There in the meeting, they wanted me to take over the book, and then I said to them, I said to them, well, "Was Dicky going?" And they said, "No, we're keeping him." Now you never. Well, I learned this, you know. If a booker stays there and he's not happy, an ex-booker, you know, it could be rough. And Dicky was a friend of mine from Florida right. and different territories, so I never took the book. 
I never took them, which was one of the worst things I did. Things I did, because four months later they put the belts on us straight away, and then we're running, we're running with all the teams, Doc, Doc and Ted DiBiase, and all all the main guys and that. And um, that place was loaded with talent, also, wasn't it? Oh, mate, Dickie Murdoch was there with me too. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a great, great place with talent. Anyhow. I never took the book and they were running and then they put us with the two little guys, the Fantastics, Bobby Fulton and um, Tommy Rogers. Right. And little guys with big hearts and hard workers. And then, and because I never took the book, they bought, bought in Ken Mantell. Ken Mantell from, right, from, um, uh, Fritz, right? From yeah, Fritz, he probably been booking in Texas. Yeah, for coming. Yeah, Fritz, Fritz yeah. and he brings on, and he brings in the free birds and all the all his guys. Anyhow, what happened there was we were doing barbed wire cage matches around the territory. We're doing normal matches and cage matches. Then they built a barbed wire cage, and then we were doing, and I found out that we were last match every night, and the arenas were good. Everywhere, and then and the freebirds were making more money than us, and they were working before the mission. And that you know, we we had the New Zealand flag, and the people were fucking wild and hot. But um, that's when I walked out, walked out there, and that's when I came back to Florida. Right then, and had to run with the with the the fabulous ones there. And then also Mike and Steve, you guys had a real good run with Mike and Steve, yeah, if I remember. Mike and Steve. Yeah. And then and then and then um and then they bought out and then the Crockers bought out Florida, didn't they? No, that's when Jack and I sold out Florida events and then uh, uh Crockett's kind of kind of did a co-op because Dusty and Steve kind of took over the ownership of it. And yeah. so that's that's when Crockett uh, started helping out uh, out in that territory to keep them from. from Anyhow, I'm, I'm back at Crockett's territory now after being out of it for, for six years or seven years. I'm back in Crockett's territory, and and I'm working around there now with the Rock and Roll Express in in the second of the, the second town. You know, they're doing two towns. Towns, right? Yeah, they run three towns tonight now. Yeah. Huh? They ran three towns a night in a B town, B and C town. Yeah. And we're running, we're running with the Rock and Roll Express. And then um, we just did an angle with Barry Windham and Lex Luger. And I got the call. I came out of the arena in Columbus, went to pick up my phone and that to see what messages I had left. I uh, left there. And there was a guy called Pat on the phone. Now I didn't know who Pat was. Fucking who's who's Pat calling me? Call me back. And now the last thing was thinking of Pat Patterson. You know what I mean? Right. I'm working for I'm working for fucking uh, the Crockers at the time. We're flying a lot of places because he's got two. The Crockers have got two planes. Right. They've got the big, you know, uh, prop job and the jet. So we're all over the place, and um, then I called. Then I called this Pat number, and it says Pat. He says, "Yeah, Pat here." And I said, "Yeah, Pat." Uh, Luke of the Sheepherd is here, and he says, "Hang on a minute." 
And, and the voice in the background says, Good night, Kiwi. That was Vince. Uh. And that it was a Saturday morning, and I guess they were in Vince's home doing the book on Saturday morning. Because I found out later, every Saturday they went to his home in the morning, and that, and um, and he says, "Blah blah blah, we'd love to have you guys up, come up here." And I said, "We'd love to." I said, "I'd be I'd be sitting tapes there for years, <laughs> <laughs> about fucking time." Uh-huh. Anyhow, um, so he said, "When when can you come?" And I says, "When you want me to come." <laughs> he says, "When you when you have a day off?" I said, "I says Wednesday." We didn't have a day off. I just said it was some Wednesday. So Wednesday morning, um, what what was Wednesday? I must say, made one excuse. It was, TV, a small it was usually a TV day. Wednesday was usually a TV day. That that's for Crockett's, yeah. So anyhow, um, we flew up there in the morning, sat with Vince, and I still what, remember what, what, what it's like. I mean, you two New Zealand boys, finally you, you've you've hit, you know, what we consider the the Klondike. You know, here we're in we're in the big man's office now. Yeah, and we were sitting out in the hallway, and then they wave us in, and we're sitting in like this, and he says, "Oh, good old boys, I'd like to have you come work for us." But um, what do you think if I tell you good guys? And, of course, I piped, I piped up, and I said, well, bring us in his heels and turn us baby faces. Now, you don't tell Caesar what to do. Right. <laughs> tell Caesar what to do. I learned straight away then. He said, oh, no, we don't, we don't do that. And Butch got up on his desk with his nose, and Butch has got a, I've got a Roman nose. Butch has got a, a more bigger nose than me and got that nose about it. Six inches to a foot away from Vince, he says, "If you can make these faces, babies, go for it." And and Vince says, "Look at the heads on my top baby face. Look at Hulk Hogan. Look at Hacksaw Jane Duggan. Look at um, <coughs> Randy Savage." He says, "They haven't got this. They haven't got the smartest kisses, have they?" <laughs> well, they haven't. Look at those baby faces. You know what I mean? Look at Hacksaw, look at the whole, look at Randy. So that was it. He says, um, you know, we're going to bring you in the baby faces. So we fly home. Three days later, Butch calls me. He says, fuck, they must have sent these contracts to the wrong people. There's contracts for the bushwhackers here. And I says, Butch, please, he wants to own us. You know, for, for merchandising. You're going from a company like um, NWA, which is your wrestler. You go to a company now, WWE, you become a celebrity. It's a different thing altogether. You know, it's night and day when it comes to publicity wise, you know. So, um, <laughs> next minute, and I hear that it was Tony's name. Tony, Tony came up with it. Tony Guerrero came up with that name. The Bushwhackers. <laughs> he probably got royalties off of it. It's still yeah. to this day. <laughs> I found out how much you're making royalties. You make. We got one percent between us, half a percent each. When you're singles like that, and Vince owns the name. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Anyhow, that's it. They said we'll bring you up for doing vignettes. Those days, vignettes were a hot thing, heavy and hot. And of course, Crocodile. Number two was just come out that movie, 
And you know how hot those Crocodile Dundee movies were. Right. They were so, um, they started doing all these vignettes. We'd fly up for a day, we'd do about four vignettes, fly back. We did that for, for maybe um, three weeks with vignettes, and then we came on the road. Uh, now, a lot of people didn't realize that we were the, the bushwhackers with the sheep herders. Here's two clowns in the ring. First, we got George Steele saying, why don't you just come out of the, come up from the stairways and come down through the crowd? The other one comes from the front entrance to the ring. And they, every every agent was giving us different ideas. You know, hey, you've got to both come to the ring together because we can't have people looking this way and other people looking the other way. You know what I mean? So we started uh, we started um, swinging around. Butch is to me, let's, we always swing our arms with our heels at the fans. Ah, ah, you know what I mean? He said, let's start marching to the ring high and lifting our feet. And so we started doing that, and the fucking people caught on to it. They all started doing this, you know, that sort of stuff. And then Butch went, then Butch about a, uh, three weeks later went further. He started grabbing people's hands and licking them. <laughs> well, that, that's how that started. That just started off of Butch just one day just grabbing a guy and, and licking him, right? Yep. And then, <laughs> and then uh, now I started, he said, do it too. So I always put my hand on the guy's head and licked the back of my hand. You know what I mean? And that's how I think how Butch got sick. You know, when he got real, he was sick in the hospital for three months. From licking yeah. people. <laughs> how do you explain that to a doctor? Doctor, uh, Mr. Layfield, how did you get sick? I've just been licking fans. You've know, been, you been eating, uh, eating with fans. That was after WWE. That's you know, but that's how we started. We had uh, the gimmick there and the fucking... People caught on to it. This was this was not 88, 89. The people boarded, even on NFL, people would do a touchdown, you know, a football player, and all of a sudden he's doing this in the in the end zone. How the, much of the vignettes was was you guys? Those vignettes were awesome. Those were some of the best vignettes ever. You know, what about the one in the in how the much thing? of it was you guys? I mean, I know they probably gave you a template of this is kind of what we want. How much of it was you guys with the eating no. without the forks and all the stuff you're doing? Because it was awesome stuff. Winston, they never wrote the whole script those days. They would give you just an idea and we would go off and do it. You know what I mean? The stuff we did. And that they'd give us, you know, give an outline. You know, what's the name? What's the name was always there? Um the guy from Houston, who's back with Vince at the moment. Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. Bruce, Bruce would be there with us. And I hope you licked his face. <laughs> Bruce and Vince. Most of the people are licking other things. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I met Bruce when he was working for Paul Bosch. He was he, he was 20 years old or 18 or 20 years old. Paul so he invented the bushwhackers. <laughs> he invented vignettes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah they, those ideas, all those were taken off to the crocodile down the di. You know, the, the side of the road and the the wording and all that sort of stuff. We sort of copied down that alleyway because that was a hot item at the moment at that time. One of the yeah. best things I ever saw was when Bret Hart did the bushwhacker. 
you know, because there you got Bret Hart, this very serious champion, and all of a sudden the Bushwhackers are out there, and he completely breaks character and does the Bushwhacker with you guys. It was the place went as Pat would say, banana. It was awesome. That was in Madison Square Garden. Oh, it was so good. We we all just popped like crazy. It was awesome. Yeah, and he afterwards he said he still says it. He enjoyed it that night. He said we we did we did about four towns together, and he said he enjoyed it. Yeah, it was so unexpected, you know, because Brett was always so serious. He's this, you know, world yeah. champion, you know, and everything. And all of a sudden, he's out there doing the bushwhacker. The place just went ballistic. It was so they were so excited to see it. Yep, yeah, it was great. Those that's how anyhow. Then we were with Vince at last. We're on. We're in the. Uh, the we're at home base. After being around the track, at last we're at home base. WWF. Brett helped us write the uh, rugby song in uh, Europe. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> we, we spent, Jerry, I think you were on the tour. We spent about 23 days or 25 days, whatever it was, uh, in yes. Europe. And the Bushwhackers were telling us how the NFL was fake and fixed. And so we wrote the rugby song about rugby being right. rigged. It's fake. It's phony. It's a bunch of baloney. Rugby's rigged. Rugby's rigged. <laughs> and they would sing their NFL song. We would sing our rugby song. For three straight weeks on the bus. Now yeah. you'd find somebody if they told you rugby was fixed, right? <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> just like they, Gabriel, just like that amateur wrestling. That was that was rigged. The pros that's right. Amateur rigged. wrestling, especially in Oklahoma, it's, it's it's fake. It's phony. It's a bunch of baloney. Amateur wrestling's rigged. Amateur wrestling's rigged. <laughs> or you just Jerry, see, Jerry get Jerry doesn't even find that funny now. He's laughing, but he's like really he's like really upset. <laughs> Wrestling yeah. fake. People are fake. <laughs> <laughs> what about the, hey? What about the um, the guy I worked with too from Oklahoma? The guy with the hands. What's Hodge, his name? Danny oh, Hodge. His name? Danny Hodge. Danny Hodge. Quite a beautiful guy. The guy with and, the hands. <laughs> hey, worked with him quite a bit. But after he was all fucked up, but he, you know it was it was good. But I didn't realize how strong he was. You so find like, out pretty quick, though. Huh? You can find out pretty quick, though. Yeah. No, he was a gentleman with us. He was he great. He wasn't so gentlemanly with uh, JBL one day. No, he was he? pretty good. <laughs> he, brought, he, brought, he brought tears to JBL's eyes one time with just a little grip on the hand there. He did. <laughs> As a joke or was it for real? Oh, for real. I mean, About uh, half and half. Yeah. He, it was for real, but it was kind of, he was kind of joking, but it was for real. He, I, I, I had taken I, somehow a picture of me <laughs> using the bathroom on the Oklahoma state sign showed yeah. up in catering and yeah. uh, taken from behind. I just somehow that happened as a Polaroid <laughs> picture, probably taken by somebody with the me. Sheik, the Sheik did it. <laughs> she did it. <laughs> and I I couldn't wait for Gerald Briscoe to get there and see it because he'd already stretched me a thousand times. That's nothing new. In walked Danny Hodge and Jack Briscoe. And there's the pictures of me going to the bathroom on Oklahoma right there. Guys. Oh my God, they're gonna kill me. They're gonna kill me. And it wasn't long till they killed me. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of he was smiling. I wasn't. Yeah. 
I, I was lucky, you know. Luthiers too. He was. I never worked with him, but um, he was referee quite a few times, and I caught some of those fucking uh, those things from Lou. You know, he 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 was firm. But as a guy, a great guy. You know, I used to barbecue with him. Lou was a great guy. By now, you know that everything is crazy overseas, and well, that's created some volatility in the market. We actually saw rates tick down a little bit this week. We don't know how long it'll stay that way. All the experts are predicting that there is going to be a rate hike this month in the month of March. Some are saying 25 basis points. Others are saying 50. What does that mean? It means waiting will cost you money. And by the way, I want to mention, this is still a once in a lifetime opportunity, just based on your real estate values. You see all of a sudden your house is worth considerably more than it was just a couple of years ago. And as a result, you can use that newfound equity to change your life. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners take their 30 year loan and pay it off in half the time. And how can they afford to do that without their payments going sky high? We get rid of all their other debt. And I mean it as a heads up, what would you do? you had no credit card debt just like that it was all paid off how much easier would life be if those car payments whoop, they're out of here no more car payments that is the story that we're able to help our friends and family with at SaveWithConrad.com. you see the interest you pay on your credit cards not tax deductible and sky high the interest you pay on your car loans buddy where is that going what if we could restructure all of your debt use some of this newfound equity and at the same time get you out of debt faster you see what we're talking about is reducing the time on your mortgage yes we're going to get you a great rate but if you're in a 30-year loan think about what your life looks like 30 years from now man life gets a lot easier when you're completely debt free and that's what we want to help you do and by the way you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket and oh as a heads up if you've been thinking hey man i like my house but my kitchen's kind of outdated what if we could get you the cash you need to turn your average kitchen into something your wife loves and it wouldn't change your monthly payment at all? Why wouldn't you do that? You see, you'd be reinvesting back in your own property. That's going to make your house worth even more. And oh yeah, you can do it with cheaper monthly payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Now I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to go check out our reviews for yourself. See what some of our new family members are saying at ConradReviews.com. You'll see there, we've got over a thousand verified reviews. Our average rating is 4.72. And if we were a restaurant with a thousand reviews and a 4.72 rating, I know where you're eating dinner and I know where you need to do your next loan. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's SaveWithConrad.com. So Luke, you, you had your great run there and, and, uh, and WWF and, uh, and so, uh, you know, you got to just deserves a little bit later on when, when you got the phone call and saying that, that you're, you're going into the WWE hall of fame. How did, how did, I mean, obviously you guys were overjoyed, but did you ever, did you ever drip that when you were starting out in New Zealand? And no, no way. Never thought, never thought I'd be there. You know, I mean, in, I, I'm an engineer by trade, a lathe worker, and you know, gas welder, arc welder, all that. But that was in the early '60s, late '50s, when I was, I was going working and still wrestling. You know what I mean? In my early, in my early years, I never thought this would happen. But when we went in the Hall of Fame, the the um, and it was mentioned Facebook and Twitter and all that. Says, what are they putting those two clowns in? 
See, all the people thought that we started in WWF. A lot of people didn't know, and that when it wasn't when I when I when I told them that we'd wrestled Killer Kowalski, we'd wrestled the Rock's grandfather Peter Malvia, we wrestled him for years, Australia and New Zealand. You know, because he he had a home in New Zealand. He, you know, San Francisco and New Zealand. That's where he had his two homes, and uh, and of course the Rock and and Stu Hart. I wrestled Stu Hart. <laughs> about four times, you know, in tag matches with the Suns. But you People didn't realize that. People never realized that we've been around that long. But you know, Luke, in fairness, if you had just been in WWE, you should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, just by itself. You, you had an incredible run. You're one of the greatest figures in the history of WWE. But then also, if you're if you hadn't been in WWE, I think you'd still should be in the Hall of Fame. Right. You know, for your career before was just as amazing. That's what I think is so cool about you and Butch is that you guys were two com- completely different characters. You were this blood and guts tag team that drew a ton of money. Then you were this funny comedy team that drew a ton of money. You know, that's, that's really a cool career to look back on. Yeah, they put us in 220. They put us in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame as the Sheep Herders in 220. That's awesome. Which, yes. which would you prefer or do you care? No, well, I love being a heel because Butch and me could make the people stand and sit down, let the baby face come back and then stand up and cheer. Then we cut them off and, and say, and watch the people sit down and get mad. And that we had, we had, we had that ability, which it took to, you know, we learned because we'd been together so long. But money-wise, WWE, of course. You know what I mean? Butch was so great because when we worked together in WWE, his back was bad and he couldn't take a slam. And he tells he tell you, I can't take a slam because the way he'd hit, the back would go out on him. So every match, I would figure out a way like I forgot and call slam. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I would, he's like an octopus. He's got my neck hooked, my leg hooked. He's great, buddy. <laughs> every, night I, every night I would try to get him. Like I would forget and go, slam. And as soon as I would, he would latch on to me. <laughs> he, he, he became heavy. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Mark Henry couldn't have slammed him. <laughs> now, now we change, I'm going to change trouble here. I'm in a place on the west coast, on the on the east coast of Florida, Florida Championship Wrestling. The Briscoes are on the card, but there's a pole match with um, Buzz Sawyer, and I don't know who else. Remember the poles you used to oil, Jerry? We vaseline, to, we, we vaseline the pole. <laughs> the pole. Yeah. <laughs> now I never seen that done, and then and, and of course Jerry, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry was doing that. Him and Jack, they and this Buzz. You know, Buzz was full of Buzz was a hell of a guy. Oh. You know, God bless him. He died early, but one hell of a hand. As an amateur. And a professional wrestler. I worked with him a lot, and I booked him later on, too, you know, in territory I was in. His, and, forearm, uh, his forearm swelled up like a basketball trying to grip that damn thing. And <laughs> trying to get up there. He'd get, you know, every, 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 every time he'd get just a little bit more than you just see. <laughs> and then uh, uh, the people are down after like four or five times, the people 
you know, kind of caught on, you know, something's wrong with that pole. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we had to end up and go and run out and boost him up to grab the envelope because he was come back in a world title match. And yeah. the envelope, whoever got the contract on the pole, you know, it was a contract on the pole, the old Southern thing, you know, and whoever got the con, whoever climbed the pole got the contract, you know, and pulled it down. And he, and he was coming back on a title, so we had to make sure he won, you know. So yeah. he couldn't get up there, and his, his arms had blown up so much, we finally had to run out, Jack and I run out and boosted him up there. <laughs> now, another night, another night, I remember you running him, was either you or Jack, Running him in high spots was about a five a five move high spot, and then you in the middle of the ring you stopped him and you hooked him and closed him up for a sort of a, a pin, and that cut his wind off. Yeah, we used to we used to torture Buzz. I mean that that, that, was, that was every we loved working with him because you know Buzz would go Buzz and thought he was tough, you know, and thought and he was a good wrestler, and uh, we'd blow, we'd have him puking every night. I mean just. In and out, in and out, and like you said, we'd we'd crisscross and crisscross, and then we grab him, suplex him, and get on top of him like I did you, and put the, <laughs> yeah. put the, yeah, put the no breather on there. <laughs> what about, what he, about, he would be throwing up every night, man. <laughs> what about the one night, Jerry, that you 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 a popper? You know the animal nitrates. Oh yeah, Morocco got it. Oh, the capsule of the animal nitrate, and then and you ran him and ran him and ran him, yeah. and then put him in the corner. Put him in the, the corner and put every I just brush him. I ran him. I was wrong as we get ready. Tagged out. Jack ran him some more, and Buzz Buzz had no durability at all. I mean, he was he was one of one of those spurt guys, and man, we were running. Finally, you know, got him in the where I got it from Morocco. Got me for about it the same exact way, but Morocco had three hundred pounds on me. So then I, I bull rush, uh, uh, buzz into the corner. He's breathing. He's he's sucking air, and I take my animal nitrate, one of those old capsules. You know they revive football players after they've been knocked out with, and pop it, stuck it up his nose. Three guys on the first row passed out, and buzz is <laughs> buzz. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was there. Everybody in the back knew what we were going to do. We told everybody what we were doing, you know, so everybody was out watching it. <laughs> poor Buzz. Yeah. But he was we, tor- we tortured that poor guy, you know, and I mean, we had fun doing it too. <laughs> God rest his soul. What great matches he had with the blonde headed guy on on um, TBS? Ever Tommy Rich. Tommy Rich. Him and Buzz. Uh, they tore the place front- apart. They- they would they would go thirty minutes, and I think they'd be drunk or whatever. But what matches they put on? <laughs> well, Tommy I don't think was they were ever sober. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Luke, tell a story about. Speaking of throwing up, uh, tell a story about the Road Warriors uh, in I Texas did. when you wrestled them. While we were in Texas, and that Joe Blanchard, you know, we did a gimmick where we sent Joe Blanchard to the hospital. And that I did a hot thing when the territory started getting cold, and that, and Joe started bringing in different talent like the Zambui Express, the Ray Candy and his partner, um, Ray Candy's partner. I can't think of the two. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, he brought in the Road Warriors. Now this is '83. The Road Warriors started in '82. And um, and the guy, the 
the booker in Atlanta. What's his name? Anderson. Holy. Holy hadn't told them it was a, a complete work. He still had them running over people. You know when he started them? He had them running over people on television all the time. Running, running. The poor guys would come to the studio and look for their names. And if they saw their names against the Road Warriors, they grabbed their bag and leave the studio, some of them, because these guys were rough. You know what I mean? Anyhow, Joe Blanchard brings them into fucking Texas. We're in Waco this night. And Fritz is running Waco too. We run it and they, and Fritz runs it. And, um, this time we're in the ring and Paul comes around to us and he says, you know, well, we're the heels. And then we said, oh, I don't think you'll be. And that, because um, we, we've been here a while, we've got some heat. So they come out in the ring and they soon realize that they're the baby faces and we're the heels. We, Butch and me were like two pit bulls. You know, we let them run over us, but the other one had come in and stopped them and take over. Within three minutes, Hawk went over to the ropes or maybe five minutes, went over to the ropes and puked out of the crowd, you know, and it was sort of a green and yellow. And the kid in the front row, we got this on tape, the kid in the front row said, Dad, just like a boogie, but it's got chunks in it. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 Butch, and Butch pulled him over and said, sweet mate, sweet mate. And, and Hawk thought he meant being sweet, you know what I mean? Sweet mate means it's all good, you know, thumbs up. But he thought he's being a bit sweet. And Hawk, we had him in the corner holding a bag of butchers in the ring. All of a sudden, fucking Hawk, that elbow, this, he came running out of that corner like an animal. And we had to explain to him later, sweet mate means everything is going good. <laughs> They'd never been in a match. I don't think they'd ever been in a match over six minutes when they first come to Texas. You know, all he had them running over people all the time. You know, just TV matches and an arena short matches. Look, look, uh, you, you know, you guys developed the walk. You know, you, you said it in the beginning, a butch come up with it. But you're famous for, for a walk, a four-second walk. Kind of walk us through that four-second walk. Well, that that was Pat's. Pat's. That was a Royal Rumble, right? I don't, I, we can't, the year don't matter, but it was a four-second walk. Uh, 91 and 92, and Vince stopped using that clip two years ago. Always coming up to the Royal Rumble, they'd run that clip showing the people, and he stopped using it. I was pissed off. That was good publicity for me. Anyhow, Pat tells us that and Butch goes out to the ring. Butch is in that ring for 20 minutes. When I come out, I get up on the apron, earthquake grabs me, takes me over the side of the ring, dumps me, and I just keep going like an ever-ready battery and that. That's great. Anybody hadn't seen that clip, uh, 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 Google it up, man, at a YouTube or whatever they do. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great. You come in, you come in in that walk, you walk in, and he just uh, takes you, he got quick, takes you, walks you across over the top, four second record, man. Yeah, I had to. And why Butch was hot, but he wasn't hot about the finish. What was he hot about? He went 20 minutes and you went uh, four seconds. He was about to pay off, right? <laughs> on the, on, on, we brought that up on our Hall of Fame speech. Right, yeah. We brought that up on the Hall of Fame speech that he was in for 25 minutes and I was in for four seconds and he paid the same money. <laughs> uh, 
That was funny. That was funny. You yeah. know, people don't realize sometimes that stuff like that becomes iconic. Yeah. And you guys did, you know, you did right away, but some guys would, oh, I'm just going to be in there four seconds. That becomes iconic, and they played that forever. I mean, that was yeah. that was one of the highlights of the Royal Rumble for 30 yeah. years. Yeah, now you know that. Santino did it in two seconds. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> that other guy from Canada, the Italian guy, is better. you know, the guy with the, the eyebrows joining? Yep. Santino Morella. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He had a bit of a walk too. He had a funny walk too. He used to walk around the ring. Yeah. That, we did almost the same thing. Jerry Lawler did it coming up from the commentary where he he started a sentence, his music plays, he gets in the Royal Rumble, he gets thrown out, and he comes back down and he finishes his sentence. Did he? <laughs> That's a good one. They had me do it one day too, you know, where I, I did the thing and Roman Reigns tipped me out and you know, and Ben Sullivan goes, now don't sell it. Act like nothing happened. <laughs> and said, which is part of the gig, you know. It's to me that's the fun stuff. The, right. And a lot of the promoters fun stuff. A lot of the promoters around the company booked me. I'm back, but uh Luke. We lost you, Luke. <laughs> he just completely went away. He walked. He's mad about the four seconds in the Royal Rumble. He's walking again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right now he's walking, trying to, trying to get back in. But what a career these guys have had. Huh? Unbelievable. I, I don't know if you were there in the garden that time when Brett did that. That was one of the funniest things. I, I, was, I, I remember the Germany deal with the, the It was awesome, you know, because nobody expected it out of Brett. And all of a sudden, Brett just breaks character and, and does it. But, yeah, what a great uh, career these guys had from the sheep herders and the Kiwis. All the way up to the the bushwhackers, and two complete different. Yeah. You're, you're 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 so right. I mean, they they, they rightfully deserve as a bushwhacker being in the WWE Hall of Fame. But any Hall of Fame out there, these guys they possess a heat uh, the, the off from all over the the entire South, down in Puerto Rico. Like I just said in that match, Jack and I had with them down there. We had a riot, man, and we were we weren't even we were just coming in, <laughs> but those guys were just so hot that every time they'd touch it, that crowd would just rush up to the to the ringside there. And they had such a good thing, gimmick they did. You know, they take a map of whatever state they were in and they take the flagpole of the Australian flag and they'd stuff it down a toilet. Yeah. You know, heat. They did it in Texas, they did Florida, everywhere they were. They That's what that was their gimmick. And uh, people just hated them over it. Yeah. I wonder if he's coming back when you say the proper goodbye to him, or uh well Luke, we wanna we want to thank you for the time today. We know we were uh went over and uh and uh but we 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 got, we had a hell of a trip down memory lane and, and some of that yeah. early, early stories about New Zealand wrestling. Yeah, it's just fascinating how different countries develop along the way. I mean, and here here you you started before the advent of TV in your country and, and still had that urge and everything. I never and I never, made it all the way to the damn Hall of Fame. So I never knew about wrestling. I'd never seen it, mate. I never even seen a magazine till the first time I ever went to a wrestling match, you know, with, with my next door neighbor. And then the second time I went, I was in the ring. Did your neighbor ever make it, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. Bruno Becker, he traveled. He had a, a job. He was locked up, but 
He'd he'd worked Puerto Rico. He'd numerous times to Japan and um and the Middle East, Asia. You know, there was a guy called King Kong out of Singapore. You know, you heard of him in the fifties, Emil, and that he was five hundred pound, and that him and Steve were good friends, and they used to run all, all the time. You Singapore, you do t- tournament, ten day tournament there. You know, in one in Gaywell Stadium. Look, I'm like, Jerry, I can't thank you enough. You know, when I came to the WWE, everybody loved you guys uh, for good reason. Everywhere I've been, they've, they've loved you guys. Just, just like uh, I did as well. I got to work with you. We got a wonderful tour out of Europe and a, and a song that we've been yeah. singing to each other for about 25 years. <laughs> so it's absolutely wonderful to see you. I got to see you a few weekends ago. It, just, it made my weekend to get to see you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it, mate. Hey, I forgot to tell Jerry. Jerry? Jerry. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I I was there when Lex Luger and, and Ron Simmons started. When the, when the you know, the oh, Japanese. With Hero, with Hero Matsuda. Now. Tell us, tell, tell us that story there. This is I had to tell this because I told John the other day. Um, we're working with Stan Lane and Steve Kern. Steve Kern's going away. I think he's going to get a hair hair weave or you know to transplant. <laughs> so the you know how Steve was not Stan. You know how Stan was. He was a gentleman. You know the a woman a womanizer. Anyhow, they put they put Dan JBL's partner with Steve Kern, Ron Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, Ron had only been in the business, been treated by um, Hero for a short time, and that. So we, we, we were working for about three days, and that's we got we, we were tied up for about two or three weeks with Ron and Steve. Three days, four days, which says to me, "Fuck, I'm having trouble breathing." <laughs> and, and he says. And I says, well, what? And I says, I am too. He was like, suck in here, or I touch around here. And that that Ron, we saw the television. Ron was throwing punches that far away from our body, but it was going into our body that far. <laughs> remember when Ron started, uh, Jerry? Ron oh, was, yeah, yeah, I remember Ron that. Was, Ron was 280 and fucking straight out of football. Yeah. And he was as rugged as hell. A beast. Yeah, he was a beast, man. And strong as he could be. You know, when he was with uh, the Cleveland Browns, he set the NFL rookie record for doing 225 48 times. Wow. He broke Lala Zato's record. He was he was world-class strong. Yes, world-class. Yep. And a world-class gentleman, too. What a, be- yeah. what a beautiful guy. Yeah. An awesome human being. A wonderful human being. Yep. I had to tell Jerry that he did that. that I, love, I love hearing Ron Swords. Uh, you know, Ron Swords. <laughs> yeah, Ron's a Ron's a happy guy. He's always a smile on his face. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, John, you've seen him the other way though, haven't you? Oh, I have. Yes, it's not a. Oh, oh, it's scary. It, it's scary. And thank goodness he never once got mad at me. I, I might not be here. Yeah, that's how I feel. There's certain guys I'm glad they never got mad at me, man. That's <laughs> right. I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, guys, 
I appreciate you having me on your show. And um, by the way, what's it called? Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. Right there huh? on Bradshaw's shirt there. It's on, it's on YouTube. Thanks for asking, uh, Luca. It's anywhere that you get your, your podcast. It's on YouTube, Spotify. Uh, what else, John? Uh, All of our every, social everywhere, media everywhere, man. Apple. Yeah. We made well, Apple, man. Well, folks, don't forget to check me out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Bushwhacker Luke. You're um, on Cameo, too, right? You do Cameo? I do cameos all the time in Memos, cameo.me forward slash Bushwhacker Luke, Memo.me, thrills.me, as uh, thrills.com, and my and website, bushwhackerluke.com. And that's where they can book you if they want you for an appearance or a card show or yeah. something like that. Okay. They can book me. Okay, guys. They should. And it's been a great time. I enjoyed it fully. Thank you, sir. Thank you.